I thought it was uh, appropriate for today to read about this significant event in Abraham's life. I don't know if there was a, a more significant time in his life. Isaac was the son of promise. God had promised him a son. And, and in their old, old age, God miraculously provides the son. And now, just a short few years later, we don't, I don't know exactly how, how old Isaac was, but God delivers the decree, go and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Nowhere in the text of Scripture do you see Abraham flinch. Nowhere do you see him saying, but, 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 but. He wakes up in the morning, does what he needs to do, heads out. As they're approaching uh, Mount Moriah, which is what is believed to be where the Temple Mount is uh, today, is, is the uh, reality. Of, uh, he leaves the two men uh, with him that were helpers. He says, hey, we're going to leave. We are coming back. Abraham doesn't flinch. He demonstrates faith through the whole time. Isaac comes on the scene and he says, hey, listen, Dad, where's, where's the ram? Where's the lamp? God will provide. Never flinches. And I don't know about you, dads, but I cannot say that I've uh, been able to not flinch in my walk with the Lord and in my raising of my kids. My nightmare is that one of my kids will actually precede me into eternity, which I'm thankful for their salvation, but I still, it would just be a, a horrible thing to, to experience. And I know there have been those in this room that have experienced the death of a, of a child before, um, before themselves. It's a, it's a humbling thing. But that story is significant, and I think that, is, uh, the, that story prepares us for what we're going to get into today. But I want to start off by just reminding us about what the mission of our church is. I believe this is the, the mission of all churches since the church has begun. It's just, this, is the, this is the terminology we have adopted. But our mission as, as a local church is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want you to pause on a number of our slides today and just think about what that means for you. Yes, this is our mission, but it doesn't get done without you. We, as a church body, are to make, that's the idea of seeing, seeing someone come to brand new faith in Christ. They have stepped from death to life at the, at the, at the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And then the maturing part of it are where the majority of us in this room today, we, we fall into that category. We are ever supposed to be maturing as disciples of Jesus Christ. None of us have arrived. If you are living and breathing, you are this side of heaven, and therefore you are in need of this continual process of maturing in your faith in Jesus Christ and living out your, uh, you being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I thought of two questions that will help us accomplish our mission. And, and these two questions are going to lead us into it, and we're going to conclude with these same two questions and then a thought that, that uh, comes from them. First question is, do you know Jesus? It's a pretty straightforward question, but this is one of the slides I want to pause on for a minute. I'm going to ask you to envision yourself, to, to uh, look forward into this week and ask yourself, are you capable of asking someone do you know Jesus? Can you picture yourself doing that? I don't know what the context would be for you. I could see someone say, do you know Jesus? I could see that happening. 
I could see it more as an inviting, do you know Jesus? I don't know how you might say these words, but are you willing to ask these words? God is looking for a willing heart every day to tell others about Jesus. That's his son. He wants the world to know about his son. It's Father's Day, right? We want, we want the world to know about our kids. God's saying, do you know Jesus? And then the second question is this, is this how well do you know Jesus? I think this constitutes the making mature, Jesus Christ, uh, making mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Making, do you know Jesus? If the answer is no, you have a prime opportunity to see the hand of God work in the life of whoever it is you're talking to. When they say, well, no, actually, I don't know Jesus, you have an opportunity to lead them to faith in Christ. But when, when we see this, this question, how well do you know Jesus, this opens up even more opportunities. Because the answer is, do you know Jesus? Well, yes. How well do you know Jesus? This is a question we can all consider. If we, if we call ourselves a Christian today, we're saying we know Jesus. How well do you know him? I came up with this thought. To know Jesus is to want to know him more. Um. I hope this is true. I hope this is true. This is the way I just, I was pondering what it means for me to know Jesus. And I thought to myself, if, if we truly know who he is, we want to know more about him. The reality is, people, you'll ask the question, do you know Jesus? Yes. Well, how well do you know him? Well, I got saved. Yeah, I got saved. And that's the extent of their desire about Jesus, or their knowledge of Jesus. I know I, I'm saved. Uh, do you know Jesus? Yes. Well, how well do you know him? Well, uh, I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. It's, it's not saying, you know, how long have you known Jesus? He's saying how well. The question says, how well do you know Jesus? And so to know Jesus, if you are here this morning and you, you would actually claim, I've come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I know that he's God's son. I know that he hung on that cross for my sins. And because I know what he's done for me, I'm overwhelmed. I know Jesus. And since I know Jesus, I want to know more about him. And so that's the journey that we're going to embark on, hopefully that today, as we begin our study in, in, uh, in, in one of the Gospels. But I, before we get there, I wanted to say there's never a time where we're not to learn more about Jesus. John finishes his gospel with these words, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the, whole, the, the, world, even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Right? That's the way John concludes uh, his, his study, and I thought to myself, I have a lot of books. And there's this thing called the internet, and, and there's digital libraries, and and. And I'm telling you, the world literally could not contain the books that would be written about Jesus because they're still being written and they will continue to be written because we have never reached the end of studying who Jesus is and getting to know him more and more. So this idea to know Jesus is to want to know him more. It's a, it's a, it's a call for each of us to consider where are, how well do we know Jesus? Because we need to know him more and more. I hope that's the desire of your heart. 
We're going to begin a study on the book of Matthew, right? The gospel of Matthew entitled The King and His Kingdom. That's the, 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 the one way of looking at the, the gospel of Matthew. It's the king and his kingdom. And we're going to be drawing that out as we go through this study of Matthew. It's, it's time to take a break from the words of Paul and, and, and start engaging in the words of Jesus a little bit more firsthand. And so for today, I have the... the uh, the goal of just working through Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, all right? Uh, and I've entitled this message, An Invitation to Know Jesus. I do believe that this is part of what all the Gospels are about, right? Matthew's Gospel invites us to know Jesus. He starts off, which will engage in these words, and throughout the entire gospel. He's inviting people to know more and more. And we read story after story about Jesus interacting with the disciples, Jesus interacting with his family, Jesus interacting with the, with the religious but not faithful people, Jesus interacting with the Gentiles who are not religious according to Jewish standards, but are faithful and seeking to know the truth. And, and we see people come to faith in Jesus. So Matthew's gospel invites us to know Jesus. Uh, all the Gospels do this. It's part of the Gospel genre, right? It's, it's the story of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. And so let's talk about Jesus. But for our sakes, we're going to just focus on Matthew's Gospel. And he invites us in his own unique way to know Jesus a little better. And so in Matthew 1.1, we see that he invites us to know Jesus in four specific areas. And you're going to hopefully be encouraged by this. I'm encouraged by this because when you actually see the text, it doesn't look that exciting, does it? The book of the genealogy. Can we stop right there? The book of the genealogy. Does that sound exciting? Just in case you were thinking it was, I thought I would show you the genealogy of the Odeorn family. (laughs) Do you think this is fascinating reading? Uh, I looked it up. I show up on page, what page? 206, all right? It starts in 1650-ish and goes all the way. This one ends, uh, I'm the last generation in this book. There's been, I think, at least one supplement uh, to this book. But if you're interested, and I doubt you are, um, uh, it's, it's, it'll put you to sleep pretty quick. All right. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. My grandfather's one of the guys in the back, and, and uh, he was responsible for a good portion of it. But the book of genealogy, this is not an exciting topic for most of us, but let's step ourselves into the shoes of a Jewish person in the time uh, that Matthew is writing and in the time of Jesus, right? And, and we're looking at it. This book of the genealogy is, is also could be translated as the book of origins, kind of like Genesis. It's the same beginning. It's talking about the origin of Jesus. It's, ta- it's talking about the beginnings, right? His, his earthly ministry and what this is all about. Uh, so we have, it starts off not very exciting, book of genealogy. But when you get into the content, which we will not get into today, where's Pastor Joe? You're in the room somewhere, right? There you are, right down front. He has the wonderful opportunity to preach next week the actual genealogy. This, this book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, uh, this introduction is specifically the introduction to the first two chapters of, of Matthew. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that we are invited to know Jesus better is the theme of the whole gospel. And, and so we'll use it as a way of introducing the whole series. All right. So it starts off with the book of genealogy. But then it, it, it really, as we get into the actual meat of what this represents, 
there are a number of, of uh, titles given to Jesus right here in this, in this one verse that are packed full of, of truth for you and me today. Truth that will change our lives. So the first one, we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to say the first one, we're going to talk about this, the son of Abraham. This is a title given to the person of Jesus. And it's, it's what we just read in Scripture, all right? And in that, in that, in that chapter we, we read about, we, we see that Matthew is inviting us to know Jesus as the one who blesses the nations. Can I ask for you today, of, uh, if you don't mind, um, we are all, I, I'm Irish. You wouldn't know this. Odiorn is French. The name Odiorn is French. But I'm 50% Irish. All right, my mom was full-blooded Irish, uh, and uh, that might explain some things too. I don't know what that does for you. Uh, so I'm Irish. Any other Irish in the, in the room? All right. How about some Italians? Some French? Uh, keep the hands up. If you, just keep raising your hand up. Just, uh, keep your hands up. I want, I want everybody's hands up. How, are, are, you, uh, are you French? Uh, are you uh, um, Chinese? Japanese? Korean? Okay, you need to put your hands down. All right, I'm saying in this room, we have people from uh, the Middle East with Middle, East, Middle Eastern background, Asian background, uh, European background, uh, anyone with an Australian background. I, I, that one actually escaped me. There's a continent for you. Any thieves in the mix? All right, all right, all right. Oh, oh. So, all right. If you didn't know, the colony was founded as a prison, all right? So, so here we have, we have... Jesus, we're getting introduced to Jesus, who is the one who blesses the nations. Where do we get this from? In Genesis 12, 2, uh, 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 Moses is writing, and he says, I will make, this is God speaking, I will make you a great nation, God says. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is Genesis 12. The scripture reading actually came from Genesis 22, which is also here. This is the the second to last verse of what we read earlier. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham stood willing to plunge that knife into the heart of his son. God stopped him. I don't think it was a surprise to Abraham that God stopped him. We know from elsewhere that he knew, that he believed. Uh, in the New Testament, we're, we're told that even if he had plunged, and plunged that knife into his son, he was confident God would raise him from the dead. That's faith. That's faith to overcome the love of, of a son, to, to actually do what he was asked to do. But we are told in, this, in these two texts, of Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, that in, you, in the seed of Abraham, there was going to be this one who would come in your seed, a descendant of Abraham, would, would all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, we know that person to be Jesus Christ, all right? But I want you to pause for a minute and just think about the significance of this statement. This hasn't changed since the time of Jesus, all right? There's no borders listed. Certainly borders have changed. But this hasn't changed. This is the world that God so loved, the people in it, but here it is. And here in this one little spot, 
is the nation of Israel. It's Israel. Now, specifically, when, when, when God was speaking to Abraham and he, and he made this covenant with Abraham, saying all the nations of the world would be blessed, he was on Mount Moriah, which we would call Jerusalem today. So this little, it's almost in the center, which I thought was interesting as, as this is um, put together here. But in that little insignificant place, as some of us in, ha, would consider it, all the world, all the nations are going to be blessed. Do we understand the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is not something that we keep uh, uh, tucked away in our home. It's not something that we just looked in the front of our, of our Bibles and see when we got saved. It is, it is the story of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And Jesus is the son of Abraham, and he is the one who blesses the nations. The gospel is not constrained. You know, I heard recently that one of the, the largest, uh, I'm trying to think if it's the, it's, I don't want to get it wrong, put it this way. There are a bunch of Christians in the underground church in China. I think I heard it, and I don't know if the person was right, but the largest group of Christians in one nation, this person said, was in China, in the underground church. The gospel is not hindered by communism. The gospel is not hindered by uh, first world, second world, third world. It's not hindered in the least because this is part of God's plan, and God revealed it to Abraham, the father of the Jews, the Jewish nation. But can we say this? Who else identifies with Abraham? Well, the Jewish people identify with him. The Christians certainly identify him. Even Muslims uh, look back to, to Abraham and to his child, his, his child, excuse me, not Isaac, but Ishmael. And so, so this, this person of Abraham is someone who is revered across many different religious traditions, but it is his descendant that is the focus of this promise. And Matthew is inviting us to know Jesus as the one who blesses the nations. I was blessed by Jesus Christ in this nation, in Virginia, of all places. And, and uh, I don't know where you were blessed, but anyone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ is living out this promise that God has made to Abraham. So since Jesus is the one who blesses the nations, then no matter who you are or where you are, he is able to bless you. So I, I, have, I think it's an abiding question we're going to be asking throughout this study of Jesus' life because Jesus didn't come to found an institution. He came to redeem people. And so when we think about this, there are those who think that they're on the fringe. There are, there are those who think that they don't matter. There are those who think that God does not know them and, and does not care about them. And I'm telling you, if you will pay attention to the messages, the sermons that are going to be preached through this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that Matthew tells us, there is no, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, Jesus Christ can bless you. He can bless you with salvation. He can bless you with growth in Christ. Jesus Christ desires. These are the words. These are the words that Eric Hale told me. Jesus Christ wants into your life today. And I thought he was already there, but he wasn't. I knew him, but I did not know him as my Savior. 
So Matthew invites us also to know Jesus as king. This is a dominant theme within the, the, the gospel of Matthew, and, and we'll certainly look at uh, not only his aspect of, of king, we'll talk certainly right now, but we'll also talk about his kingdom here in coming uh, sermons. But the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we already talked about the son of Abraham, but now let's talk about the son of David. Do you remember the two blind men sitting on the side of the road? And Jesus is coming, there's a great crowd around them, and they're blind. And, and I, I know there's two different accounts of, of this story, but I, blind Bartimaeus, right? Son of David! Son of David, right? Everybody's trying to shush him. He got louder. Son of David! And so Jesus calls him over, and he throws his cloak away, his only belonging that he probably had. And he went to Jesus, and Jesus healed him of sight. He gave him sight. This son of David is a powerful title for Jesus. As you approach 2 Samuel chapter 7, right, going back into uh, many, many years earlier, what we have in this particular text is, is um, you have David states that he has the desire to build God a house. Maybe you remember this, a place of worship. Because David was thankful for all that God had done for him. This is prior to his sin with Bathsheba. This is prior to much of what went wrong in David's life. But at this particular point in time, David had in his heart to worship God and to build a temple for him. Now, as, as, as we know the story, God's answer to David began with a firm no. But then he tells David that he's going to build David a house. This is one of those significant moments in, in, the, in the biblical story where we ought to pause for a minute because if David, as king of Israel, is shushed, right? He's in awe of God. He's just like, he's speechless at one level. He's just like, what? I want, I want to do something good for you, God. I want to build you a temple. And God says, no, 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 no. I've never asked for you to build me a temple. I have traveled with my people. I have identified with my people. Nonetheless, your son will build me a temple. But he says, listen, you're not going to build me a temple. You're a man of blood, right? He's a man of war. Uh, he, he, he says, no, it'll be a man of peace, of which Solomon was. And he says, but David, I want you to understand, I'm going to build you a house. That would be, in, in, in our market today, as we talk about housing, we can understand it'd be nice to have a house built by God. Right? No inspection needed, none of those things, right? But here we have, we have David being told that it's a figurative house. He's talking about, I'm going to establish you in a way I've never established anybody else before. He says in 2 Samuel 7 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Once we get into this forever terminology, we are far beyond any comprehension of time and space that David could have had. Forever is forever. Forever is a God dwelling. It's not a human dwelling uh, outside of God. Obviously, if we're in God, we will live forever as well. But here he's saying, I am going to establish your kingdom and, and there, your throne and, and a person who will sit on that throne will be established forever. Now, there were times in Israel's history of which uh, the, the, the subsequent section will point out, there were times where, where the kingdom kind of ceased. There were people that it, the throne ceased to be sat upon because of 
of the Assyrians, because of the Babylonians, because of uh, the uh, Assyrians, all these people that were going to come into play down the road. But he's saying, God is saying to David, he's making a vow to David, he's making a promise to David, your throne shall be established forever. So the Jewish people lived in expectation of a coming king from the line of David. And so that was in the air when Jesus comes on the scene. They, they, are, they are looking for this king, but they were looking for their version of a king, not God's version of a king. But Paul, excuse me, uh, Matthew is going to explain all that for us as we go through. Matthew invites us to know Jesus as this king, the promised king of David, of David's descendants, the one who would have the throne forever. Since Jesus is the promised king, because he is, whose throne will last forever, then he is our king. Now, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit to the end of the story, all right? But I, I'm saying that, listen, Jesus is this promised king. He's a, he's, Matthew's introducing us to it in the first verse, but throughout the book of, of the Gospel of Matthew, he is showing us how the king lives, how the king treats people, how the king exercises his authority. He's going to be describing for the, this, this promised king, and this promised king, because he died and was resurrected, lives forever. He is our king. And that's why, I, and I'll just use this opportunity, I, I might get... Hate mail for this. Never hate mail. Sorry, too strong of a term. I might irritate you with this. But it's one of my strong beliefs, and I've never acted upon it. But this thing right here, right? This, this thing right here, right? I respect it to the utmost. I've put myself in harm's way. I know many other people who have put themselves in harm's way for defending our nation. But as we gather in this room, and I heard a message just this past week that talked about this, as we gather in this room, we are citizens of a different kingdom. We are, in this sermon, I forget who preached it, but uh, it was the idea that we are an embassy of God in the midst of fallen people. If they want to know the kingdom of God, they're supposed to come here. They're supposed to come here and in other churches, and they're supposed to see the people of God worship God, love one another, have the unity, be able to preach boldly the text of Scripture that says Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the Savior of the world. And so I will never despise that flag. But there are many churches that don't have a flag in the auditorium because it sends a mixed message. As we talk about King Jesus... I want you to identify that we are citizens of his kingdom before we're citizens of this wonderful land that we have been allowed to live in, which is not perfect and is in great danger and is prime for the gospel to go forth in a powerful way as God's people exercise their, their roles of, being, of not only being citizens of that kingdom, but being ambassadors of Jesus Christ, of having the, the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we are. We are the church. And Jesus is our king. So he also invites us, thirdly, to to know Jesus as Messiah. Now, this is not one of the words that that we're most familiar with in in the way we, we talk about things. But he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus, Christ. It's not Jesus' last name, and we can help people understand that. It's only used two times in the whole book of of Matthew. 
Jesus Christ together, it's only used twice, and they're both in chapter 1. Paul talks about Christ all the time, and he'll just use the word Christ, and he'll drop off the name Jesus. But if you look at the Gospels, it's in Mark, it's only in chapter 1, one time. There is something significant about this title. Jesus is the Christ. Well, what does this word Christ mean? Well, actually, Messiah in Hebrew is Christ in Greek. It's conveying the same thing. What is it conveying? It's conveying the anointed. Now, we know that that kings, priests, and prophets are anointed. We have stories of of kings where oil is, as David was anointed as king, even though Saul was on the throne. Uh, I believe it was Elisha that was anointed as a prophet. I think he's the only one that's actually listed in Scripture as being anointed as a prophet. We certainly have the priests that are anointed. We have Aaron and and his sons, and, and they were anointed. So Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one, the one who is, is, really, he's all three. He's prophet, priest, and king. But his anointing is of a different nature. Let's look at what it says here in Luke 4, uh, 18. is Jesus speaking, and he's quoting Isaiah 61. This is Jesus when he steps into the synagogue of his hometown, and he's asked to read, and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah, and, and, he, and, he, and he reads these wonderful words, but this is part of it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And when he was finished reading, he sat down, everybody's looking at him, and he says, this is fulfilled in your eyes today. It's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the promised one. I am the one who is going to deliver people in a very specific way. And so since Jesus is the Messiah slash Christ, the anointed one, then we can be liberated from what oppresses us. Now, this is, this is something that the world preaches. You can have freedom. You can, have, you can be liberated, all right? And, and, and that word can be used all kinds of wrong way. But, but we have to ask ourselves, What oppresses us? What are we looking to be liberated from? And we just talked about this in in the teen Sunday school class this morning. When when Adam and Eve, living in perfection, were uh, were, uh, tempted by Satan, and they fell into what? They fell into sin. And we are sinners. Each and every one of us are sinners. And I, I want us to understand, sin is something that oppresses people. And so we can look at the oppression that is a result of, of, a, of a tyranny, a tyrant. You know, we can look at the oppression of communism. We can look at the oppression, all the different forms of oppression all around the world. But the one that the world doesn't want to talk about is their, the oppressive nature of sin. They are bound to it. Romans 6 says, that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. But that says that we were once slaves to sin. Sin is oppressive. But the, but for, so in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. We are actually able to exercise what is right, what is true, what is holy, what is righteous. So Jesus offers us as Messiah and Christ, he offers us freedom, liberty from sin. 
And that leads us into the fourth way that Matthew wants to introduce us, invite us to a deeper knowledge of Christ. Matthew invites us to know Jesus as Savior. All these terms are are interrelated and build upon one another. The son of Abraham goes way, way back. Blessing to the nations. Eventually, David is born. He is a son of Abraham, and he is a type of Christ. He's a, a king who's also a son of Abraham. But he's not the son of Abraham. And then you have the Christ. Christ and, and the, 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 the son of David are, are both very strongly terms used to identify a king, royalty. But we see here that we're also invited to see Jesus and to know Jesus as Savior. Where do we see that in Matthew 1.1? It's in the name of Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Well, what is Jesus' name? Well, in the Old Testament, he would have been Joshua. And it's the idea that God saves. And and so we're told in in Matthew 1.21, which uh, uh, I'll be touching on in two weeks from now, uh, it says, and she, talking about Mary, these are words being spoken to um, Joseph, and she will bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, this is paramount for you to understand, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. For why? For he will save his people from their sins. This is why we come to worship. This is why when we can say, do you know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. Well, how well do you know him? Well, it begins with knowing him that I know that he has died in my place on the cross of Calvary. He has paid for my sins. He has saved me. That's what his name means. He is the Savior of sin. Savior from sin. Let me get that. Correct. So Jesus is the Savior, and therefore, I just have to point this out, he's also the seed of Genesis 3.15. Now, if you go to the genealogy of Luke, Luke brings, brings it all the way back to, to Adam, all right? Uh, but here we see in Genesis 3.15, it says that the God, we touched on this, teens, uh, we touched on this this morning, and I will, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking about the sermon, uh, ser- serpent, excuse me, and Eve, and between your seed and her capital S seed, Jesus Christ, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first gospel. This is the first time that the hope of salvation is brought onto the scene. Just prior to this, we had the fall. We had, we had perfection that had come to ruin. Sin was now in the world. And the, right away, God says, but I have a plan. I am sending the seed of the woman And it's essential for us to identify that that promise of God has has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled in people's lives today. So Jesus is, just to recap, he's the blessings of the nations promised to Abraham. He is the eternal king promised to David. He is the Messiah Christ who has come to liberate the oppressed. And he is the savior from sin. And so when we go through the gospel, this is pretty much Christianity 101. This is simple stuff, but it's awesome stuff. It's amazing stuff. And I hope you can see how, how God has purposed to, to teach us the story. He has given us his word so that we might read it, engage it, and come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible was written so that we would have the invitation to know Jesus. 
Have you accepted Matthew's invitation to know Jesus? Is that something that you're wrestling with today? If you're here or watching online, whether today or or whatever time frame from now, you have to ask yourself, have you received the invitation to know Jesus? That first time coming to faith in Christ. I am lost in my sin. I feel feel hopeless, helpless to affect any change in my life. I keep doing the same things over and over and over again. I don't feel like there's any escape possible for me to to be able to to, to get out of this this struggle that I, I am having. And I keep doing wrong and I keep doing wrong. And so you have to receive the invitation to know Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? God promised his son. He loved the world so much he gave his son that whosoever believes in him, that's receiving the invitation to know Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the eternality of God promised to all the children of God. And so we encourage you, if you have not accepted Matthew's invitation to know Jesus, that you would accept it. So let's go to the end of the gospel real quick as we, as we close uh, the sermon time together. Let's go to the end of, the, of Matthew's gospel because this is more of an overview of the book. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in the particulars. But if you go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we first see, and Jesus came and spoke to them. This is now, he's, he's been crucified for the sins of mankind, right? He died, God's, God, God the Father turned, his, uh, turned away from him, right? That was the, the however we com- comprehend that. But it, the sins of the world were placed on Jesus, and, 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 and we have this atoning sacrifice, He dies, he's placed in the tomb, and he rose again on the third day, and then he's seen by all kinds of different people. But this is after his resurrection. He came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, it's appropriate that a king would have authority, right? Well, if you know Jesus, those who know Jesus rejoice in his authority as king. Do you find yourself fighting against God's authority in your life? He has the right, every right to tell you what to do, where to go, how to act, right? But when we think about that, we think about it from the negative. And I, that's why I put the word rejoice there. We are free from sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We can actually enjoy his authority because as he exercises his authority, it's only for our good and for the, go, for the good of those we love. Do you have a child who's wayward? Do you not want them to come back to, and, and to a, a healthy relationship with God? Yes. Do you have a child who's thinking about going on the mission field? Can we not rejoice that if God calls them there, even though it may be in harm's way? All right. It's our king, and he is calling his children into service, and we can rejoice in that. He goes on to say, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the idea of our mission is to make disciples. Here it says, Go and make disciples of all nations. So, those who know Jesus gladly invite others to know him. And I shared this recently. I think it was probably with the teens uh, on one of our times together. But, you know, if I had a new car, a brand spanking new car, that was maybe fancier than I deserved, right? I would be telling everybody about that car. I would not be telling people about my jalopy. I would not be doing that, right? But if I had this awesome new car, I'd be telling everybody. 
We have new life in Christ. We know the answer that frees people from their sin. We have the ability to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have all this truth. And, and folks, we have to be careful that we're not characterized by holding it to ourselves. We have to be careful that we don't hide it under a bushel. Right? Those who know Jesus gladly invite others to know him. Because when you know Jesus, you want to know more about him. He goes on to say that, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, right? That's the idea of the maturing process. We, we exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, baptism is part of maturity. And I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized by immersion after coming to faith in Jesus, it's a beautiful picture of what he's done for you. Why not obey the Lord in biblical baptism and teaching them? Listen, we do all kinds of teaching around here. We would love for you to, to grow in your relationship with the Lord because you, ha- you are called to know Jesus more. This is what we're called to do. So those who know Jesus help others mature in their faith in Jesus. Discipleship is essential for this church to be healthy and to be balanced and to glorify God. The way discipleship happens is one disciple ministers to another disciple to a point where that disciple is actually able to minister to another disciple who is actually able to minister to another disciple. And, and, and it, that is the way the church has begun since the, birth, the church was birthed. I just happen to know who the disciple was that, that led me to the Lord. His name is Eric. What's the name of your disciple, the, the disciple that, that, that led you to Christ? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend. But you need to be in discipleship relationships. And as we go through the book of Matthew, listen, this is something that we can enjoy together. But it doesn't stop with you. You are called to disciple others. And so I hope that you will accept the invitation and grow in in your knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. Because the question is still stands, do you know Jesus? And I hope you'll consider inviting someone to know Jesus this week. How well do you know Jesus? Are you, are you concerned that maybe you don't know him well enough? I've been, someone could say, I've been a believer for 60 years, but I don't know Jesus very well. Well, it's not too late. You're still breathing. It's time to know Jesus better. So we'll close with this. To know Jesus is to want to know him more. Do you want to know Jesus more today? Is it a desire of your heart? I hope it is, and I hope that as we go through this study that you will know more and more about him, and you will see your life changed, and you will see the lives of those that you minister to changed as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way we can engage in it. One simple verse has exposed so much about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's been promised since the garden. He was promised to Abraham, the old man that was too old to have children, married to a woman that was too old to have children. But yet, Lord, you gave them a child. You fulfilled your promise. You fulfilled your promise to David, giving him a royal descendant. When all the royal descendants had been basically taken off the scene as different empires wiped out the nation of Israel, and as you reestablished the nation, you brought a son of David miraculously into the midst. And he is king then and he is king now and he will be king forever. And so, Father, we praise you for 
this good news. But Father, we realize we live in a world that does not know Jesus is king and that they do not care that he's the son of David or the son of Abraham. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be those people to, to help people be introduced to Jesus. Lord, be, I pray that you would just overwhelm us with your grace so that we could not keep our mouths shut about what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus has done for each one of us, saving us from our sins, showing us the light of life, showing us that life can be lived in a way that truly has meaning, has purpose. It will glorify you if we live our lives in relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help this church be a, a beacon of the gospel, a, a, a light of the gospel into our community so that people will know Jesus. But Father, we also pray that we would seek to know him more. Do not let us rest, Father, without knowing more about your son. We pray these things in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen.